Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm glad you were back with us today. And today we are going to be joined by another incredible woman that has done some awesome, awesome stuff in this industry and is continuing to do those things. Today we are joined by the one and only Lizetta Rainey Braxton. I tell you, the way you did that brought me back to my basketball days. Like I'm going on court, ready to score today, team player. <laughs> I'm gonna put the ball in your hands and move out of the way. I'm just setting up the set. I'm an assist uh, man today. That's all I'm doing. I'm just dropping assists. That's awesome. Good to be on the show with you, Emma. I'm glad to have you on. Like we've talked before, but prior to that first conversation we had, like I've just admired everything that you've been doing in the industry since for a long time. Just sitting back watching you, I know that you were. Were you the president of Quad A? Yeah. So let me just go ahead and give you the list since you asked. (laughs) So I've I've served in several capacities and then I'm going to wrap it up with what I'm doing currently. So in terms of what I've done in the industry, I was part of the FPA's diversity committee, chair of that committee. Also very involved with the CFP board. I was a member of the WIN council, the DAG, the diversity, the center council as well too help support with NAFA and their diversity efforts, support with XYPN. And so those are some of the associations, groups that I have been a part of. I currently have served as chair of the Association of African-American Financial Advisors, affectionately known as Quad A. And I was president back in 2013, 14, officially 2014. We started our first conference, Vision, in 2015. It's been awesome. We had a virtual conference this year. And I'm also president of Quad A Foundation Hmm. as well, too, which is kind of a spinoff that has happened in the recent years. And we just got a very significant grant from the Carson Foundation. So those are all the volunteer things that I have been involved in with the idea of advancing Black financial planners, advisors in the profession, and also uplifting uh, the people that we serve. So I gave you that laundry list, and I'll also have to anchor it in the practitioner side, which is the same theme of elevating people of color, specifically Blacks. I am happy to say that I joined forces with Brianca Dorsonville. Name her, our financial planning wealth management firm is 2050 Wealth Partners, where we are leaning into the concept, the idea, actually the fact that by the year 2050, the U.S. will be a mosaic where you'll see more people of color and we want wealth to transfer along with it. So there you go. <laughs> so you just do a few things, just a few things, not too much. Just a, just a few, few things. things, right? It is just awesome to watch. I mean, cause you were out there doing stuff for advisors like myself long before advisors like myself even existed. And I think that we're a product of some of the work that you've been doing. Like you see people like myself and some other black advisors that are out here that have been able to have an easier time getting into the industry. Not easy, <laughs> but easier time right. getting into the industry because of women like yourself fighting the good fight. I know about you and the work that Rianca is doing and you guys had your firm and you partnered up and all that stuff. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for that. 
and we're going to continue to carry the torch. As you know, we're trying to change the complexion of wealth too. I think you're saying the same things that we're saying, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this. And listeners, I'll tell you this. I know I say it all the time, but you're in for a treat. Like, was that a, she's, you know, (laughs) you heard the laundry list of accomplishments and things she's doing. She's been doing it for a while. So Uh, with that being said, talk to us about the underrepresentation of Black advisors in the industry. Stats, right? So one that stays in the forefront of my mind is, and I had mentioned this work with the CFP board, it's always been this push for, we know the numbers are not great, but we need to know where they are. So just like with the financial plan, you need to know where you are to help you know where you're going and what you need to put in place to make that happen, right? Pivot, of course. So when the report came out initially, I think it was 2018, That number for specifically Blacks was like 1.5% of all CFP certificates for Black professionals. Now, we're at a number of over 80,000 CFPs, (laughs) right? So we're talking less than like 1,500. And at least we know where we're starting, right? And I don't want to just limit this to the CFP because there are many ways that we can serve our community with licenses that allow us and certifications that allow us to deliver financial planning. So I don't want to be exclusive in what I'm saying. I'm just honoring who I am (laughs) and speak for the populations that are part of me and who I am in the community that I'm in broadly and narrowly defined as well too. So in terms of overall financial professionals, that percentage is around eight to 9%, right? We're still talking kind of low and that's financial services broad. So there's room, there's room for us to be more representative and supported because what these figures don't tell us is the people who actually are no longer in the profession. So how many people have we lost along the way? Mm -hmm. And that's the stats that scares me even more. Because I think it's incredibly hard to get into the industry. And as hard as it is to get into the industry, it's even harder to stay in the industry. Yes. I think that, you know, it's incredibly difficult, but I wanted to like in this same vein, because we're talking about underrepresentation of black advisors, how does the lack or underrepresentation of black advisors hurt or affect black families? How does that, like, what's the correlation between that? The low numbers of advisors and the black family, if you will, how does that affect them? So let me answer it from a standpoint of, I have clients who specifically come to us because we are people of color. And I use people of color for our firm because my business partner, Bianca, her dad is Chilean and her mom is African-American. So I want to honor, we honor the people of color absolutely, and not specifically say black Mm -hmm. in terms of heritage. So for our firm, we have people who are specifically looking for women of color and for me as a black person, because we understand some of the cultural nuances and this is the cultural competency that we're talking about. One, in terms of a lot of first-gen wealth, would you say there are other populations that have first-gen wealth? Absolutely so. But the other populations don't have to really think about their ancestors who are on a balance sheet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ancestors who, you know, were a part of defining what a stock market is. We were traded. Absolutely. <laughs> so these are things that people say they were 400 years ago, but no, the system has evolved even to today 
where there's a lot of exclusion and a lot of lost wealth for Black Wall Street things. You know, our rights just came around some few decades ago. Mm -hmm. So it's still fresh for us. This history, this emotional weight that gets carried on, even if it doesn't have a word or term to it, but that struggle, you got to know. You got to experience it to have a full engagement with your client. You want your client to bring their full self so you can serve them well. So you can put their best interest first. Mm -hmm. And this cultural competency is not something you can just study in a book. (laughs) You have to have engagement with an intentional engagement. So to be able to know where your clients are, you have to be somewhat in their shoes. Now, is every situation the same? No. But there are enough conversations in a cultural dynamic (laughs) that play themselves out. So I would say this is why there needs to be more African-American, more people of color advisors, because some clients are just going to want to work with a person of color because that's what they're most comfortable with. Now, there are other out there to say it doesn't matter to me. That's totally fine. But I'm saying to those, for example, in the majority, then in order for you to be a fiduciary, then you're going to have to up your skills. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's not just book. I couldn't agree more. And the people of color comment is spot on, right? I know we're talking about Black, like when I think about it, and I think about my grandfather, you know, raised in Alabama. I've talked about it on the show mm-hmm. plenty of times, but born in 1926 in Alabama. Yeah. When I seen the signs at his high school, it didn't say Black, it said colored. Mm. all the signs Mm -hmm. even back then always said colored it didn't just say black people it was like anybody and that doesn't get enough attention paid to it i think sometimes sometimes we it is black people and we were treated very very bad and i'm not making light of that i mean i don't have to get there but what i do want to say is they lumped all colored people together they lumped Mm -hmm. us all together and said people of color you guys are less than us you can't drink out of the same water fountain as me if you have any color to you so to be able to bring financial planning to that group of people of color in general is what the mission is of us. And I say us, I mean you and myself. I mean, changing the complexion of wealth doesn't mean we're making it black. It means we just need to be a little darker because <laughs> it's been overwhelmingly. Yeah. And this is a piece that I talk about a lot mm-hmm. when we're talking about 2050, the changing demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to say that there's this song that you need to keep in mind to be able to be relevant in an increasingly diverse environment. And that's Tina Turner's What Love Have to Do With It. And where I'm going with this is now you have families. There are no provisions to say that you cannot have interracial marriages or interracial unions, right? So when you have, and looking at Andrew and what's a girl? The princess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh. yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Megan. Is her name Megan? No. Megan. Yeah, right, right, right. Megan. Yes, yes, yes. Prime example, right? You have a biracial child, mm-hmm. and that means wealth and everything else will go along with it. Mm-hmm. So they were like, how is it possible that you can have these change in demographics happening and wealth going along with it? Love. Mm-hmm. And that's real. So if you end up, and I've spoken with some white clients who, and people, who children decided, you know, to marry someone of a different race and have to make these decisions about estate planning. Are you going to receive that person in? These are your grandbabies you're talking about. This is real and it's here today. So either you're going to deal with it and stay relevant or you're not and stay irrelevant. 
that's for the financial advisors out there who are listening in and they should peeping into this conversation. Because I think that that's me. Like you're talking about me. My wife's Mexican. Most people know that. Some people don't, but my wife's Mexican. So when the whole thing with George Floyd happened, this was a great example for a time for our families to have a conversation. You know, my family, we talked about it. So this was a time when my wife and I, she reached out to my mother-in-law and she was like, hey, you know, you're talking about it and stuff. And it's always been something, you know, she's like, what do you think? She's like, that's not right. You know, they shouldn't have done that. You know, typically the norm. But then she, you know, my wife asked her question and she said, so you realize that your grandson is a little black boy. And that hit her Mm -hmm. totally different because it's like, she's right. This is something that I have to worry about now. And it wasn't that she didn't think about it. It wasn't that she didn't know. But but when you put it in perspective at that time, it was like, wait, hold on. I love this little boy just like the rest of my grandchildren. But the fact that this could possibly happen to him just because of the color of his skin really, really started to get in. And I think what's going to happen in the country as we continue to have love conquering yes. all, you're going to have these issues that now are going to affect you. And not saying that it didn't affect them before, because I yes. think it did. But now it's bringing it home. It's just like, you know, and bringing it home, like when someone, you know, people are talking about COVID this COVID that, but when someone in the family gets COVID, then it's like, oh, wow, this is different now. Now it's not about the news. It's about what's going on at home. And I think that's what we're seeing happen. Yeah. And so even with financial planning, right, we're saying, let's get ahead of this before crisis happen. Mm -hmm. And as much as we would like to explain to people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, even good intentions, right? Just the exposure. Sometimes you got to live to learn. And that's the other part of having this space for one awareness, mm-hmm. right? Sharing the burden of awareness. Mm-hmm. That's what your story says to me. It's like, whoa, you know, you brought this home. I'm just not carrying this alone. We're carrying this together now. And that has to be the mindset for people who really want to change and to know that there's got to be grace because it's a learning curve, right? You're not expecting your wife to have this experience, Mm-mm. but together you come to this point, right? Your conversations are different. The way you engage is different, more robust. And that's all we're asking for the industry to do the same thing. Cause we are all in relationship with one another, whether we like it or not. Absolutely. 100%. I think there are some unique challenges that face advisors of color. Can you talk about some of those? I know we have unique challenges for black advisors. We have unique challenges. I think most of those would go for a lot of advisors of color in general, but could you speak to some of those challenges? What are some of the challenges that you think we're facing? Yeah, so I'm going to give some highlights and I'm going to put a reference in here as well, too. So I've written a couple of op-eds. One is six ways to share white privilege. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the other one, you know, concerning racial bias. We'll link those in the the show notes, too. Say them one more time so we can make sure that they're in there. And they're both financialplanning.com. One is the six ways to share white privilege. And the other one is dealing with racial bias. It just came out a couple of days ago and I can't remember what they titled it, We'll get it. but it's dealing with that. And what I'm highlighting is several things. One, we don't see enough black people in leadership positions. So I'm saying even the executive team. So you can go to websites, you know, the top 100 financial planning firms all over the place. And you're look, you're scrolling down. You keep scrolling like down and then you get to operations. And that's when you start seeing people of color and maybe a sprinkle one or two on the FA line for the larger firms. I mean, we're just not even there. And then when we're there, we are under probably the assumption, probably rightfully so that we're going to be underpaid, right? Because the statistics show we don't have any proof of that. 
unless they're paid bans and full transparency of salary, but that hasn't happened totally yet. Mm -hmm. So we're already on the notion that we're going to be underpaid and we're just happy to be there, right? To get the experience and get the opportunity if we're there, Mm -hmm. if we even get a seat. Mm -hmm. And then we have to deal with the fact that we have to do kind of some code switching. So the way that we're talking is like, we can't bring the full self. They can't handle it. (laughs) They can't handle the full self. So then we start talking. Yes, it's so great to meet you, John. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for inviting me. See that code switch, you change your tone, you change what you're doing just so they can handle you Mm -hmm. on their terms. You know, you bring too much energy, Mm -hmm. bring too much, in particular for a black woman, you know, too much expertise. Or she's an angry black woman because she's coming in with the juice and she's telling us what to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, but that's how, you know, I'm just matching your energy and matching your tone. It's a mirror, but you don't see it as a mirror, Mm -hmm. right? And then you have who goes out together. You don't hear until later. It's like, man, the boys went out golfing, didn't even invite me. You hear about it later. And they've been talking about how the business, the firm is going to grow or who we should merge with and all these other conversations that you're supposed to be at the table because of your position, even if it's an FA, because even at that level, it's affecting you compensation wise. See, you got me all worked up now. <laughs> I think it's real. It's real. Because <laughs> as you're saying it, I'm like, man, you know, the code switching for real. You know, I get on the call with you. It's like, what's up, Lizetta? How you doing? What's popping? Like family good, fam is good, this and that. You know what I mean? We're going to chop it up different. It's different. We're just going to talk different. Wow. It's just not the same. Like, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I'm not going to beat the conferences to death, but you go to a conference and you're looking around like you can't even really be yourself. You just got to, you know, it's like... Uh, and then you see someone that looked like you and it's like, hey, <laughs> and then because we've done code switching, because we've had to talk a certain way, then when you have other people of color that you see, they're like, well, OK, where are they at? Like, are I they really black? <laughs> the term that I use, and this is funny because now my wife uses it, I, she'll say, are they with us? Are they with us or not? Like, I can't but tell. you got to <laughs> ask. You have to ask because this is the other piece of diversity and you have to respect that, right? Knowing people where you are. So everybody saves energy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so a a person has all rights to be who they are. And I think that's relevant to kind of ask because no need to waste your energy or engagement for anyone and they ain't feeling you. Yeah. That's how I feel. (laughs) Exactly. Because time and energy are just as important as money, if not more. I think that's what's driving it. Energy is what's driving your money. Mm-hmm. And this is the other piece. If you feel oppressed in your work environment, then you're not even delivering all that you can to earn what you know you can. And the firm isn't either. So it's just bad for all parties. It's just bad. And there's just so much statistics out there. You know, you got Citigroup coming out saying, by not honoring Black people, the economy lost $16 trillion. Mm-hmm. Right. So this ain't just our issue, mm-hmm. being an our Black folks. It is big hour issue yeah the u.s and so that's all we're saying mm-hmm. is that we're losing out but hey so are you so can we just write the ship here and everybody win that's all we ask it it doesn't sound like too much not at all but then Fear. again yeah because it's like one of those things like you can show the numbers and quantitative data to support involving more people of color black people women and what it does for a firm, like the numbers show that by yes. having a more diverse workforce, you will have more revenue. Like it's just the numbers, like it just shows you have more people of diversity, you have more diverse background. And then I would want to see more, like you said, want to see more people of color in positions of power. I wonder what those companies that have 
people of color in positions of power, what their revenue looks like compared to companies that don't. And then like the workplace morale and other thing, a few other things that go into mm-hmm. it. But those are the things that I think about when I'm thinking about challenges that we face. And this, I want to turn something on its head as well, too, right? And I, don't, I forget the statistics. I think Black people represent 12 or 13% of the country. I haven't looked at that statistic, but 13, I think it's somewhere around Right there, it's like 12 something, 13 okay. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm sitting here thinking about all of the innovations that we've done over the centuries, the things that we've done. We rise up, right? So if we're only 13% of the population and, and we make it to the White House, we make it to all these key positions, and it's not just rock stars, right? Mm-hmm. It's that... If nurtured right and done right, we some bad folks, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We have built this country. Mm-hmm. And so where that gives me confidence, so even when there are situations, systematic conversations that is just ingrained that try to tell me otherwise, it's like, you got the wrong one. Because mm-hmm. I know, I know that I know <laughs> that we overcome, we know how to handle, we improvise. Because even during this COVID situation, and the social unrest, we're popping up businesses, we're pivoting, right? It's a whole concept of how you can enjoy chitterlings or chitlins out of pigs, right? Because <laughs> that's all we got, but yeah. we made it a delicacy. And that's what we do with all situations. Yeah. But the part about it is it had, has been for the benefit of others. And I'm like, no, time out for that. Mm-hmm. Time out for that. And mm-hmm. we're learning within financial planning how to manage, make the most of what our money will do for us that gives us a different type of independency that we're going to return to. Absolutely. I like being Black. <laughs> yeah, every day. Every day. I love it. Uh-huh. And I think that there's been, you know, certain things that would make people, there's a lot of factors contributing to why people may have certain views of a certain population of people based on a misconception that they may yes. have. Like the fact that it's funny because I think about this and I'll say this and I want to jump into another part of what we're going to talk about. But it's funny because in my firm, like as I look at, but not only in my firm, but when I think about revenue or income that people make, Mm -hmm. most of my minority clients earn Mm -hmm. more money than any of my other clients. My largest assets that the clients that have the most assets with me are all minorities. You wouldn't know that. Nope. You know, you turn on the news and you listen to everything. You wouldn't think that. But we're running a successful, you know, pretty successful firm. And the people that are driving that are all minorities. And this is the piece, too. And I have to take a closer look of what percentage. But our client base is very diverse. Mm-hmm. I would say at least probably 50 to 60. Might even, yeah, are African-Americans. It could be even more. But my mind just brings me to that there are people who are not Black not people of color that are also attracted to us. So where am I getting at? You know, a lot of people, one, there is black wealth. So that's what we're affirming. There's a lot of it, a lot of black income and a lot of black wealth. And we also have clients that are not black who appreciate our expertise as well, right? And so I'm once again flipping it because we are at a competitive advantage. We know how to navigate most, if not all populations where the majority are so accustomed to the majority that they don't have a strong play mm-hmm. with other populations. So I think we are pretty much ahead of the curve with our firm. Pretty exciting. Because we've always had to work with people that didn't look like us prior to finding a firm or building it. Yep. So you can work with the people that look like you. Right. And I don't have, a, you know, I have tons of clients that aren't people of color, which that's fine. I don't, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to help everybody. Yes. 
And I think that it just helps give you a more well-rounded experience being able to have people from different walks of life in your pause, pause. And this is what I'm saying as affirmation. And we're both saying the same thing is that we are the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are the future. Absolutely. We've designed it Mm -hmm. and it feels great. Yes, it does. Amen. We can just end like there. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) And I think about it and I think about the blacks and Latinos because really, really close. It's so close. And I said this on another podcast. It's funny. I was talking about my buddy, Luis, who just had him on. Oh, yeah. I said, when we get out there, I said, we go to somewhere and I go to a conference or I'm out and I'm talking to other advisors. I said, first, I'm looking for black people. And I said, if I don't see any black people, I'm looking for Latino. I find me a Latino (laughs) and I'm good. I'm like, okay, what's up, man? We can vibe. You know what I mean? And it's funny because they be looking for me too. They're like, okay, so is he, you know? And I think that between the Blacks and Latinos, I mean, I think there's a synergy that's beginning to happen between these two groups of people. And I think that the winner, we like we all win in that relationship. I think it's really been such a sight to see just advisors of color everywhere have success, especially during this time, you know, as businesses are continuing to grow and then we're having a great year this year for our firm. And I know a lot of my other friends that are advisors are having great years and it's because of our ability to pivot, our ability to be able to connect with people. Because at the end of the day, having a more diverse background helps you connect with more people. Yes. And being able to connect with people is what advisors do. Like if you can't connect with people, you can't do this job. And so if you can only connect with one group of people, when we're moving away from a homogenous society, you are not going to be successful if you don't learn how to change things. So Let's talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what do those things mean to you when you hear those words and mm-hmm. talk about those a little bit? So diversity is uh, checking the box. Right? <laughs> it's like, okay, we got women, we have blacks, we have, you know, that's not negative because yeah. you got to have a starting point because mm-hmm. a lot of people can't check the box. <laughs> True. Then inclusion is allowing and giving room for voice, mm-hmm. right? Giving room for voice and being heard. Equity is when you take what is said and put it to work mm-hmm. that it benefits all parties. And then I'm gonna add because people have dropped it off, but it was a part of it as well too. Belonging mm. is when you feel as though everybody feels that the diversity that they bring, that the voices are being heard in a way that profits at all, there is really a oneness in effort, unity, and results. That belonging is so powerful. And I'm just speaking from my point of view on this one, but belonging is so powerful. Like I'm mm-hmm. in a lot of an organization. I'm in a yeah. lot. But I know I belong mm-hmm. at Quad A. I know that. Unequivocal. I belong. I'm going to go to the conference. I'm going to see people that look like me. For an organization that is not led by people of color to make people of color feel like they belong, not just checking the diversity box, not just having a diversity and inclusion committee, not just having any of that, but making them feel like they belong is a level of commitment that people are not willing to make. I'll say it straight like that. Because Mm -hmm. it's one thing to say that, yeah, we're going to have diversity. We have this many people on the board. We got this. We got that. We got this. We checked all these boxes and that's what it is. But we're not going to change our culture. 
So that's why I did kind of the stair step, right? Mm -hmm. Checking the box for diversity, right. inclusion, the voice, mm -hmm. the equity in terms yeah. of part of that and belonging because you're sharing power, you're sharing authority. It's systematic in your processes and you see people for their humanity mm -hmm. and what they bring. But that's the way that you get to belonging. Yep. And a lot of these places are not ready to relinquish that. They're not ready to relinquish the power, the privilege, the money mm -hmm. and share, even though it's been said, if you let some of that go, there's more money for everyone. But they think that if somebody else, the zero sum game, right? If someone else gets it, then that means less for me. Mm -hmm. That mindset, bad human behavior. <laughs> uh, and I think that because you're given like the steps, like this is how we get there. And right. the ultimate step, like I think in what you're explaining, I think the ultimate thing is creating an environment where everyone feels like they belong. That's crazy. But you hear me say, you got to do the steps. It's doing the work. Mm -hmm. I had to bring it in there. Yeah. It's doing the work. You cannot think about relationships, right? You feel like, let's talk about, you know, marriage is an example, right? <laughs> you don't just get to belonging. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, yeah. You make covenant yeah. with one another, right? You, yeah. you date, you court, as my mm -hmm. grandma used to say, mm -hmm. you court, you date, you feel like it's share. Then you have this covenant. Then you have some goals. You have some negotiations, right? Mm -hmm. That whole, we together, are we inclusive? You hearing each other's voices. What does equity look like in terms of housework, money that's brought in, all this other stuff, right? And then you feel like one, right? You marry, say you won, but you don't, you won on yeah. that day. Yeah. <laughs> you won exactly. with the covenant, yeah. right? So that's what I'm saying in terms of first, the same thing, right? We don't even get the covenant. Mm -hmm. We don't even get within the relationship that we are committed to be in relationship with you as a part of our team, as a part of our family. We don't even get that from the offset. So that's what that is. We don't even get the commitment up front. And as you're saying this, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with someone else and they were talking about, it was about marriage. So it's going to be right in line with what you're saying, but we're talking about marriage, right? Yep. And they were saying, you have become your own universe or galaxy, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And so let's just say we're on our own universe and now you get married and they had their own universe. Mm -hmm. And what I think happens is in our marriages, the struggle is we want to keep our universe and just yes. have them be a star in our universe. <laughs> and so that's going to bring tension. And, you know, mm -hmm. the universes need to come together to be one universe. And that's going to yes. be a little collision. Right. But when they happen, if it happens, it's a beautiful thing. But what that means is you have to put your feelings and everything else to the idea. He said, if you win, this is what David Stewart said. He said, if you win a marital fight, the marriage loses. I said, mm, oh man. That's good. If you win the fight, the marriage loses. And if they win the revenue, the firm loses, the industry yep. loses, and everybody wants to have their own universe and just yep. have people of color in it. Mm -hmm. Not create a universe with the people of color to make it better. Yep. And they, as an extension, because this is preaching, this is preaching, <laughs> is that they dim our star. Mm -hmm. We're yep. stars, but they dim our stars. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's what we're asking. We're asking on the front end mm -hmm. <laughs> when the courting process is going on, yeah. right? We need some vows, some covenant. And it needs to say that, you know, you're committed in their conversation about what this looks like. And along the way, some accountability says, okay, you're not holding up to your deal. You're in the deal. We're not. What can we do to, you know, work this out and move forward as equal humans? 
And I'm going to go ahead and take it a step further and get actionable things that people can do. Pay us the same. Okay. Let's start okay. here. If you're going to hire someone, pay them the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you bring in a woman, you bring in a person of color, then pay them the same as you would pay that advisor. That's white. Let's just call it like it is. Pay them the same. Yep. That's start of, that's part of it. Give them a seat at the table. Let them eat like in decisions. Okay, so I'm going to have to so. take you another step back is, because you know your guy, I'm going to call him yours uh, from mm -hmm. Wells Fargo, <laughs> mm -hmm. not calling any names. We're like, we can't find anybody, right? Yeah. So you're making the assumption that we're out there. Yeah. So are we out there? Oh, yeah. There's a few of us out there. <laughs> There's right. a few. Yeah. So if they look for us. Yes. As we're looking. So look for us. And then when you find us, yeah. pay us well. Pay us. So I had to add that in there. Absolutely. You're totally right. <laughs> So when you do find us out there, because right. there's a lot of us and pay us right. Right. And then be able to go through that, the diversity, the equity, the inclusion, ending and belonging to create that environment where people feel included. Yes. You know? And if we say we didn't appreciate X, Y, and Z saying what they did, that was very offensive. Mm -hmm. Hear us and act on it. Mm -hmm. Let our voices be heard and respected and then changing in terms of a part of our shared culture and shared values that align with the firm's mission and vision. It's so crazy because the most sincerest form of respect is listening to what other people have to say. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just listen to what we have to say. Listening to, you know, understand. Not listening to speak, yes. but just listening to understand. And sometimes the best thing to do when someone, and this is for people that are in positions of power that can listen to people, is just listen, digest, and don't make any comments at that point. Just listen, take mm -hmm. time, let it sink in, mm -hmm. let that sit in your yes. spirit a little bit before you just have that knee jerk response or reaction, if you will, mm -hmm. to what someone's saying and not really hear them. Because if you listen to what people are saying, they're speaking through pain, they're speaking through hurt, they're speaking through yes. a lot of different things. And people will call that anger, but it's not always anger. A lot of time it's just hurt. A lot of time is just feeling like, mm -hmm. you know, no one's listening. A lot of time it's just, they're not listening. And you yeah. can tell when someone's not listening to you. So that's what and we, we have the right. <laughs> and I say this, I'm going to call it a right for our counterparts to listen and have the capacity to listen because we have shouldered so much of all their emotions and all their oppressions. So if I do go off and we've had enough deposits in the relationship. So this is a Covey concept, right? Mm -hmm. Got a bank account relationships, mm -hmm. make deposits. So when there's withdrawals, there's still money in the bank. Like our bank capacity for dealing with the majority is huge. You know, <laughs> I answers have raised the kids, been wet nurses. Don't let me go on with the list. Mm -hmm. We have endured a lot. So if we need some space for a time to just have an emotional, you deal with this, then I need for you to be able to handle some of this. <laughs> yeah. And we can come back to it. So the listening, but it also is emotional capacity. You got to build that up, asking the white counterparts to build that up and okay. not make this be a part of their guild of what the answers do. Just take it, meditate on it and get some strength. Yes, because that's what we had to do. For a long time, we still do it. Like there's still, I wasn't even going to, that's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this has been a truly wonderful conversation. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth and you've been doing incredible things. What continues to motivate you to grow and learn and lead? I am grateful, and sometimes I get upset, but I am grateful for my spiritual anchoring because a lot of people would look at what I've done, particularly the volunteers, and I hear it a lot, like, you're not getting paid for this. 
but I've been called to do it. So that's what keeps me motivated. I'm clear on what I hear when you said in terms of your spirit, who God is me to be, and that's my boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, God is my boss. So there are times, you know, even today before and before where it's like not one more thing, just not one more thing where there always also has been, you know, a lot of victories as well too. So I'm motivated because I'm grateful to be in a space in terms of where I feel like my gifts are being used, that our family is being blessed, and that there are people like who I say are on assignment to one another, because it will take one another to make change happen for all of us to be recognized as God's children, period. Absolutely. 100%. So how has your family supported you on this journey? Ooh-wee. <laughs> my husband, we've been married for 23 years, together for 24. So, yep. We married, yep, and been sailing. And he's very much a social justice activist as well, too. So his journey has been as a theologian, as an activist, as a scholar. He's worked with nonprofits, fundraising. So what we've had to do as a family is, one, to make sure we always had our, people call it freedom fund. We used to call it a go to hell fund, a get out of hell fund, because <laughs> oftentimes <laughs> that's what it felt like <laughs> for the battles that, you know, we had to endure and still endure to this day. And the other piece of this is just trying to not like the weight of the world come inside your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're always fighting on the outside to make sure that we're not fighting on the inside. Right. In terms of support, you're asking about support. So giving space for all that extra energy that you're trying to push away, but not push on the negative. Right. So having the capacity, emotional capacity, the spiritual capacity to keep each other accountable, to keep communication going and not see each other as the enemy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's just the case because that's the person who's closest to you. Mm-hmm. And then you introduce a child. Our daughter is 15. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't been with me, quad A conferences, you know, missing a tooth. She's just smiling with me because she was out of school and I put her to work. Mm-hmm. Right. I took cars to all my meetings. <laughs> so a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Anyway, working for home and, you know, my husband, the same with him, taking her to church and dealing with all that kind of stuff. You know, still congregation, whether you look at it or not, what we're doing is, providing guidance to people, walking in their lives and stuff. And we're exposing our lives to the energy that they need for us to support us and and need to make sure that we're doing that for ourselves individually and for our core unit as a family as well, too. So it's been one, you know, looking at our finances, not just to the two of us, knowing that our family may need us, knowing that we might have to quit jobs for which I did, which he did as well, too, and may end up doing because we are very prophetic in our words and a lot of people don't want to hear that. So that's why I started my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's been able, you know, to manage with institutions as well, too. And then with our daughter, I mean, she's in high school. She's leading social justice conversations, but also wanting her to be a child as well, too. And sometimes that's hard when you hear your parents talking about the weight of the world that they're carrying along with them, too. And so there's been sacrifice for our daughter as well, too. Mm-hmm. And she has also been prepared for this moment, right? She got her history growing up. You know, we took her to see the Ma'afa plays and stuff. So she knew about the slave ships and her heritage. And she was like, what are you doing? You know, five years old. I mean, like, girl, (laughs) you need to know. Mm -hmm. And so now she can tap into that well of being a strong black girl who's still joyful, who still appreciates all her talents and having fun and is confident and has language to say why she is so wonderfully made. Love it. Family is important. I think it's the backbone of everything that we do. Yes. If you could offer a piece of advice to our listeners, our pieces, what would that be? (laughs) 
I didn't give enough. This is pardon gifts <laughs> like on the way out. This is what you need. If you do one thing, do this. Pardon gifts. Yeah, pardon gifts. To thy own self be true. And I'm not saying that lightly. I'm saying that in a way of the more that you are honest with yourself about your feelings, your goals, what you want, what's important to you, what you'll accept and what you will not accept will give clarity for anybody who engage with you. You know, we are our businesses and our businesses could be like us. We own our own business, but our business could be as an employee because we still have responsibilities that we have to execute on and engage as well too. And so as we're talking about relationship within our marriage, we know that that's a journey. Within your work environment, you got to pivot, whether you own it, part of it. Mm-hmm. So when you're true to yourself, then you won't stay at a job too long, or you will say what you need to say at the job to help them be better. You will know who to hire to be a part of your team in alignment, and also say, we thought that this was the case and it didn't work because we've set for you the mission, vision, values, right? Which starts with you. It expands to your business and expands to how you operate. So my parting words to that own self, be true, because if you're not, you're going to be influenced in a way that is not going to move you forward. And or you may project on people and a culture that will end up being toxic. And there's a lot of vulnerability that comes along with that. I love all that. I love this whole conversation, actually. Me too. Man, this has been awesome. It took a little while for us to make it happen, but we made it happen. (laughs) And we actually recorded the show. So I'm excited about that. And I'm so happy to have you on. I like thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I love the work that you're doing. I wish you nothing but success, continued success. And we're going to have to have you back on. Just letting you know that now. Love it. I appreciate you, Emlyn, all that you do and this investment of time for the greater good of all. So keep doing what you're doing. You got a champion in me for you. The assignment is real. You can count on me anytime. Awesome. I appreciate you, sis. And as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.